0: This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. For a free month of unlimited access that you might well need right now, please go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably.
1: Probably Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name's Andy Wood.
0: I'm Matt Kirshen. Uh, we are... You you might notice this is a slightly different audio tone to normal. It's almost as if there's some kind of pandemic going on, and we're recording from three separate locations simultaneously.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, almost as if the thing we've been talking about the last few episodes got as bad as we were thinking, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be um, doing at least one and probably more episodes coming up that are specifically related to the whole coronavirus thing, so I thought right now, because you're probably, you might be a bit coronavirus out, uh, we were going to do just a regular episode with other, turns out some other science has happened in the meantime. There's been other stories, <laughs> and we have, so we, we might cover some of that. Remember, remember when there was other news?
1: Oh other, man, those are the days.
0: Other things. So uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy to have this guest, uh, a fantastic comic and writer, uh, I worked with him on a show a while back, and he keeps going on to substantially bigger and better things. It's Langston Kerman. How are you, man?
2: Yeah, what an exciting time to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it?
2: God, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. What have you guys been up to the last week?
2: Uh, well, I've gotten to know my wife even better than I anticipated. <laughs> and it's uh, It's fine. I, I i wouldn't recommend it no it's great it's yeah still
0: i i'm running out of songs to sing to my cat which is uh, and we're only on day four i think of being and i should bear in mind that every song i've sung to my cat is basically a pre-existing song with the words changed to you are a cat
2: sure okay. <laughs> just in case the cat forgets that it's the cat you have to remind oh them he's so
0: knows yeah so you think you think he'd know that he's a cat by now, but you just can't be too sure.
2: Right. Nah, he's probably a fucking idiot and doesn't get it. So you, you remind him.
0: I would leap in and defend my cat's honor, but he is a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> can, can is it
1: safe to assume we don't have anyone from ASCAP in our listenership? And you could give us you could regale us with one of these cat cat songs.
0: Oh, I uh just name any song and I'll show you what I do it's 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 quite remarkable looks uh, like Jagger oh. <laughs> uh, oh I should also point out his name is Doug uh, so it would be like your name is Doug yes your name is Doug and you are a cat
2: <laughs> okay there you go yeah okay I'll be honest. Yes. That wasn't and it's, as it's good just as I as, had pictured in my head. <laughs> and,
0: and it's just as flat. And, uh, you know, you, you, we I, we really need this thing to be over soon. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if Bonnie can take much more of this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I don't know if I've made this. Uh, uh, I don't think I mentioned this in the podcast, but I just bought a, a house for some reason. Out in Joshua oh, that's Tree. Right. Yeah, um, in Joshua Tree because that's like the last place anywhere near Los Angeles where it's still somewhat affordable. Um, with the intention of like coming out here in my in my free time between jobs and then also like Airbnbing it. And now it's become uh, maybe the smartest investment I've ever made because I can just hole up in the desert, I guess, for a long time. Um, but it's been strange because I you know I meant to come out here anyway between these two jobs I'm on. And now it's like, well, now you have to be here. And now you can't go anywhere else. And even out in the desert, um, the Walmart here in Joshua Tree is also all out of eggs and meat and uh, things like that. So everyone's going crazy.
2: Like they're also competing for eggs and meat in the same way that the city people are or that it's... Well, I, just, I, I just would have thought it's not that sp-
1: it's, it's pretty sparsely populated out here. And there's still a giant sure. Walmart. I didn't think everyone here was going to go as crazy and I figured they already all are doomsday preppers who have um, bunkers and pantries, but uh, no, everyone's going crazy. It's And it, th- that part of it doesn't make any sense. Like the panic buying is um, you don't need to get more than your regular amount of
2: groceries. The groceries are only going to go away if you make them go away by hoarding them. So it's this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a lady today, an older woman who had gone back to Walgreens to return like, 36 rolls of toilet paper I presume (laughs) only because her family had like scolded her that like bitch you oh what are you doing like this is insane and she like felt bad because she was now keeping you know people who actually needed toilet paper from having it yeah and you should feel
1: bad don't panic buy everybody just buy the normal things you need They'll, they'll they'll still be there if everyone does that just don't but I know it's also the prisoner's dilemma And if everyone but you is doing it, then you're the only one who gets screwed. But also, just don't do it. And maybe everyone else won't do it either. So.
2: Yeah, it'll figure itself out if we're being honest. But nobody wants to be honest. So we're all, like you said, panic buying. And it turns into old ladies being shamed by their family and forced to return (laughs) toilet paper in front of
0: others. (laughs) Hey, Langston, we like to ask our guests this before we uh, get into science stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from teachers you liked or hated or classes you enjoyed or used to blow stuff up in the woods with your friends.
2: Sure. Uh, My senior year of college, uh, I found out that I was like 20 credits short of graduating and was forced (laughs) to take. I think literally like eight classes all at once in like my final semester just to be able to make that happen. And one of those classes was oceanography, which they shouldn't be allowed to teach to a bunch of college kids. But your boy was in there learning about whales and shit. Uh, Why should they be allowed to teach it to uh, (laughs) college kids? Oceanography, it just sounds very much like a junior high school uh, level course. In retrospect, it actually was pretty challenging because you're learning about like the way that waves move and like, you know, the different layers of stratospheres and whatever spheres. But at the time I was like, OK, so we're just going to we're going to recount the the various fish we've seen in our life that, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it, it does sound real, like as far as I thought it would go, at least.
0: It does kind of sound like something that kind of the surfer guy says is like a zinger to the nerd in, a, in an 80s movie. Like, yes. you, well, I'm a professor of oceanography, man.
2: Right. It's, it doesn't it. sound like the one that you're supposed to be proud of. <laughs>
0: but I, it is. I, it's, it's a legi- it is a legitimate science, though. It's like it's a proper people have PhDs and professorships in it. I wouldn't
2: sure. be surprised and, if you have an oceanographer listener. Yeah. Right. And I think all of this is just evidence to show that I uh, have no experience and I'm an idiot. This <laughs> answer this answers your question without directly answering your question, but if you want me to call myself a whore, I'll do it. I don't know anything. <laughs> I do like the
1: idea think, that oceanographers are just people who tell you stories about fish they once saw. Like it's
2: just
0: <laughs> 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 fisherman saw in a yeah. Pretty big. <laughs> um, well,
2: there
0: there is a uh, – I know at least a couple of people sent this in. I can only see the link from Mike Brown right now, but – uh. Of course, people wanted us to cover the story of a new chlamydia species found under the Arctic Ocean. Sure, yep.
2: A new, for, a new chlamydia species? species? Is that what I heard? Yeah,
0: that is exactly wow. what you heard. I like, sent over a three-way Skype conversation.
2: And, <laughs> this, and uh, just to clarify, why why were they looking under ice for chlamydia? Why was that the 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 search? They... I think it was
0: someone's it was someone's bachelor party and it got out of hand. Sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you guys want to go chlamydia fishing in Antarctica? Let's do it.
0: Yeah. One of those scavenger hunt ones.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Turns out, turns um, out they meant it metaphorically, but one guy was a bit literal, and uh, you know they got a paper yeah. out of it, and they've got written up in CNN. So
2: good for them. <laughs> uh, Still making yeah, discoveries. Say-
0: yeah, it's nice to know that there are other less fatal diseases out there. that you can still. By the way, this what
2: happens with chlamydia? It it burns? Is that the main the main experience? Uh, I
0: I believe I, like if it's untreated, I think particularly in women it can cause infertility.
2: Okay, sure. As a problematic man, uh, I felt nothing there. So great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking i'm totally it kidding. Says, uh,
1: according to planned usually has no symptoms but um some of the signs include yes pain or burning while peeing or during sex lower belly pain uh abnormal vaginal discharge
2: bleeding uh,
1: the, the, yeah swollen or
2: tenderness uh, yeah not i don't fun. want that no. no it doesn't sound great
0: no so when people hear the word chlamydia, they usually think about sexually transmitted infections. And it's true that the specific bacteria that causes chlamydia typically depends on interactions with other organisms to survive. So when a team of researchers discovered several new chlamydia related species deep below the Arctic Ocean in a place with no oxygen and with apparently without an apparent host organism, they were surprised. Mm. Jenna Dermeshi, Der- 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 a PhD student at Uppsala University in Sweden, Uppsala, uh said finding chlamydia in this environment was completely unexpected and of course begged the question what on earth were they doing there uh wow Jenna is the lead author by the way uh so the-
2: so these are these are like uh good chlamydia this is like uh, uh, chlamydia that isn't necessarily burning your your genitals and whatnot this is like yeah, i guess it's
1: just unsaturated fats
2: Right, you got your good yeah. fats and your bad fats, your good chlamydias and your bad chlamydias.
0: Right, exactly, and these are the kind that you should be cooking with. So,
2: sure.
0: <laughs> you know, like an expression, cooking, hey, yeah, we're cooking with chlamydia now. <laughs> we're cooking with chlamydia, yeah. It's, it's all these
2: are the kind These are the kinds that Instagram models are going to sell at some point
0: <laughs> <Right>. to help
2: <laughs> you look better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they came across a number of diverse cousins of chlamydia between... 0.1 and 9.4 meters below the seafloor. This is below the seafloor, not below the oh, surface wow. of the water. Oh.
1: Um,
0: and found that the new species were closely related to the bacteria that cause infections in humans and other animals. While the authors didn't find other host organisms that the new chlamydia-related bacteria depend on to survive, they said that the species could be getting fuel from other microorganisms deep in the ocean sediment. Dharamashi says... Finding that chlamydia have marine sediment relatives has given us new insights into how chlamydial pathogens evolved. And they found, they made a discovery by collecting samples during a visit to Loki's Castle, which is a field of hydrothermal vents in the Arctic Ocean between Greenland, Iceland, and Norway. And also, you know, you have to get an invitation to go.
2: Sure. <laughs> it's like that Epstein Island. You got to earn yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> Hey,
0: you won't believe the number of politicians who, turns out, were visiting Loki's castle on the regular.
2: Sure.
0: (laughs) Loki's little black book is full of names. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) It was an open secret in Valhalla for the longest time, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Uh,
2: Chlamydia is making a comeback. I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's particularly interesting... The environment in which the bacteria are found, because they're at a level so deep below the ocean's surface, there is almost no oxygen and extremely high pressure. The researchers said that they found the new species of bacteria were exceptionally abundant in this part of the ocean. In some places, they were even the dominant bacteria, which could suggest that chlamydia and related bacteria play a much bigger role in marine ecology than previously known, said researchers. For now, mm. scientists don't know what that role is, but latest discovery signals that there could be more of these bacteria deep under the ocean circus, surface. Which might lead to some answers.
2: I think we all That's need some answers. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, yeah
2: maybe yeah. like giant giant squid all have like chlamydia and, well, and krakens and whatnot. <laughs> maybe sure. all these uh, ancient animals.
0: Well, uh, koalas do, which every right. everyone in Australia will proudly tell you if you mention a koala. The first, uh, fact you know, that anyone ha- <laughs> it's the first koala fact that anyone has it there at the ready is right, the just, prevalence of they're chlamydia. They're like, hey, that's that a species.
2: koala bear. And they're like, yeah, you know his dick burns, right? You know he's <laughs> yeah. not a...
0: And then they'll go, and it's not a bear. Like, that's the order of important facts. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Except,
1: I forgot, do drop bears have chlamydia?
0: Oh, they have everything. That's
1: why they're so they dangerous. Of course, yeah. Once they <laughs> drop onto you, they can also... Yeah. Uh,
0: well,
1: that was sent in by Mike, I believe.
0: That was sent in by Mike, but uh, thank you for that. Yeah, Mike, Mike Brown you, sent Mike. that. There's some there, I'm sure some other people sent it in as well, though. I'm I know we got it from other places. Uh, Paul Buxworthy sent in this story where we're talking about inhospitable environments the exotic inferno planet where it rains iron.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw this. This is awesome. Jesus. So,
0: yeah, a uh, astronomers have observed a distance, distant planet where it probably rains iron. And we're probably science, so that's uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: <good enough>. exactly. <laughs> I,
2: is, I just love the idea of scientists uh, using prob- probably in their, like, very important documents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, technically, yeah, that's what all having. science is. Yeah. All sciences. this is the best guess we have so far.
2: Sure, it's, it's through, one person being otherwise. so bold as to theorize and say probably, and then some other person comes behind them and then says, like, either yes or no, you fucking idiot. That's not how it went. It goes yeah, this it, way.
0: Exactly. That's that's basically all science journals are those two things. Every science journal yeah. is someone going like, yeah, and someone else going, fuck no. <laughs> <And
2: Yeah. so. laughs> Dumbass. This is the correct way it is.
0: Yeah. And then other people go like, uh, (laughs) and and that's how science works. All right. Yeah, pretty much.
2: (laughs) That explains why I didn't do that well in oceanography.
0: Yeah. You were too, you were too credulous.
2: Yeah.
1: You you hadn't seen a big enough fish. Obviously that's how you graduate.
2: My professor was not impressed with the size of fish that I had seen up to that point.
1: Yeah. Uh, and by the way, if we have oceanographer, oceanographer listeners, please write in and, and tell us how awful we are and also tell yeah. more about what your day-to-day life is.
2: Um, yeah, just, I just know that I'm the one that doesn't respect you. These boys are uh, <laughs> big fans of your work.
0: <laughs> um, so – it sounds like a science fiction movie, says this BBC article, but that is the nature, of this is the nature of some of the extreme worlds we are now discovering. It's known as Wasp 76B. That's Wasp. Wow. So I guess this no is, this people is a planet- of color or non-Christians.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> a lot of entirely- quiet
2: dinner parties. Great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and disapproving glances. <laughs>
2: A lot of things being left unsaid at these uh, <laughs> at these evenings of raining iron. Yeah.
1: Oh, by the way, the irons they're raining are golf clubs. So yeah, it's uh. That's
0: how it. <laughs> uh That's good work, Wood. Uh, Thank you. Uh, <laughs>
2: All right, I'm not going to be yeah. a part of this if this is uh, the way it's going to keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just going to keep... That's that's a fair way to go. yeah, like, uh... kill me now. Sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Rain iron on me now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so WASP-76b, uh, you were saying. WASP-76b orbits so close to its host star that its day-side temperatures exceed 2,400 degrees Celsius, which is hot enough to vaporize metals. The uh, planet's night side, on the other hand, is a thousand degrees cooler, allowing those metals to condense and rain out. Wow. It is a bizarre environment, according to Dr. David Ehrenreich Ehrenreich from the University of Geneva. Imagine instead of a drizzle of water droplets, you have iron droplets splashing down. The Swiss researcher and colleagues have just published their finding in Nature the team describes how it used the new espresso instrument. This isn't getting less waspy. um, (laughs) Although I guess espresso is more of a Catholic drink in its origin. But uh, at the uh, European Southern Observatory's very large telescope in Chile to study the chemistry of WASP-76b in fine detail, the planet, which is a mere 640 light years from us, is so close to its star that it takes just 43 hours to complete one revolution. So they have a 43, 43 hour, hour year. year.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you would have so, a bu- So it
2: different. never gets cool enough for the iron to like uh, to dry. It's just always <clears throat> liquid iron. Yes, yeah, so I don't think it
0: solidifies. Well, yeah, so it looks like it goes it's at 24 2400 degrees C during the day. And I, I'm guessing 1400 degrees C at night because it it just says a thousand degrees cooler. Just for our Fahrenheit people, if you need that.
2: Uh, yeah, talk dirty to me. Give me the, give me the Fahrenheit.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it is. It looks like. That. Sorry, go ahead. No, it. So yeah, for our. Uh, it. Oh, I, I guess Celsius and Fahrenheit aren't that different around those temperatures. No, wait, 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 oh, wait, They're very, that's, very different. Yeah. Uh yeah, so for our Fahrenheit people, um sorry, I put the wrong number in. For our for our Americans, that is a barmy 20, 2,552 Fahrenheit at Fuck. night. Oh,
2: that's yeah. that's a cool evening. That's
0: that's a Jesus. yeah, that's your cool evening when you want to sit out on the deck and just watch the world go by. And then wow. in the daytime when you're probably gonna to want to be sleeping. It's because uh, it's going to be up to 4,352 Fahrenheit. Oof, yeah, that's a little much.
1: So that's yeah. vaporized iron. And I looked up the melting point of iron is just over 1,500 Celsius. So if it's 1,400 Celsius at night, I think is what it said. So those would be so, solid, not liquid uh, bits of iron would be, coming out of the
0: sky. Yeah, it would be about to be solidifying. It would be somewhere around the sort of soft depending on the time of day either molten or 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 you'd get iron hailstones
1: right and i wonder if some of the same things could happen with as do with water as far as that kind of stuff like which if you'd have weird forms of
0: yeah solidification. Well, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't crystallize in the same way but it would yeah but it would sort of coagulate iron would form droplets i i guess
1: um, but I mean, like the way things like hail form, which is like not
0: straightforward.
1: The reason why hail and snow are different, I, I forgot why what they are, but I think hail somehow gets like recirculated.
2: I, I don't know how, how hail works. But so, uh, I believe that hail is uh, Jesus shitting.
1: Okay, <laughs> that is right. I did that's, that's the science
2: I remember. Yeah, uh,
0: that is what they teach at school. That's definitely.
2: <laughs> I don't mean to big time you fellas on your podcast, but it's uh, Jesus taking a shit.
0: <laughs> nope, I looked it up. You're your... right. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh, it checks out. Um, <laughs> so, so this planet is tidally locked as well. So it's um, which means like the Earth's moon, it always presents one side to the Earth. The moon does, and this planet only ever presents one side to the sun so the permanent day side is big so one side is permanently in the light and is permanently 2400 degrees so it would be around the border between the light and the day side so what would happen is it would the iron would melt and then vaporize and then the movement of the iron heavy atmosphere would take it over to the dark side of the planet at which point it would cool and rain Mm, uh, wow. and it also turns out because of the extreme temperature difference between the light and the dark side and the extreme amount of energy in there it'll be driving winds of up to 18,000 kilometers per hour oh my god
2: well you're going to want some fast winds while the iron is raining from the sky
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah again for the metric for the imperial measurements people that's actually only um, around 12, uh, 1100, sorry, 11,000 miles per hour so, a mere 11,200 miles per hour, roughly, is what the wind speed is, with solid bits of iron whipping through. God. Um, that is Mach, um,
1: uh, what is that, Mach like, 16 or something?
2: Holy shit, uh, I didn't know Mach went that high.
0: Uh, you work that out while I carry on with this. Apparently, the hemisphere sure. must be so Let's hot that. So that all clouds are dispersed. And all molecules in the atmosphere are broken apart into individual atoms. So you're not going to have any compounds in there. You're only going to have individual elements as atoms whipping around at 18,000 kilometers an hour. Using the espresso spectrometer, the scientists detected a strong iron vapor signature at the evening frontier, or Terminator as it's called, (laughs) where the day on WASP-676B transitions to night. When the group observed the morning transition, the iron signal was gone. What we surmise is that the iron is condensing on the night side, which, although still hot at 1,400 degrees C, is cold enough that iron can condense as clouds, as rain, possibly as droplets. These could then fall into the deeper layers of the atmosphere, which we can't access with our instruments. Uh, (laughs) Wow. And And how
2: does this – this compared to, uh, you know, the the Mercury's and, and Venus of our solar system.
0: Massively hotter. Massively, massively hotter. Also, this planet oh. is a different type of planet. It's a monster gas planet that is twice the width of Jupiter, which is our largest planet. Its unusual right. name came from the UK-led WASP telescope system, system that detected it. Um, one of the scientists on that discovery team, Professor Don Polacco from Warwick University, says it was hard to envisage such exotic worlds. The thing orbits so close to its star that it's essentially dancing in the outer atmosphere of the star and being subjected to all kinds of physics that, to put it bluntly, we don't really understand. It'll either end up in the star or the radiation field from the star will blow away the planet's atmosphere just to leave a whole hot, rocky core.
1: Wow. Oh. Yeah, I guess somehow I thought something that big would have a tendency, would be less likely to be tidally locked, but maybe I don't have a good
0: intuitive sense of how or when that happens. Yeah, I definitely don't. I have no such intuitive sense. Yeah.
2: Well, good news, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I don't. either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I do want to see, uh, once we can get the kind of technology to give us actual picks, I'm in for this. I want to see what this nightmare hellscape looks like up close.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to get in there. I want to visit it for a bit. I, I guess this is kind of an exoplanet, this uh, this this weird like crazy super planet thing that is raining iron. Uh, I, I, I wish there was, I wish there was some way to know more about these exoplanets though. If if there was some kind of like great courses plus that I could experience, particularly while I'm locked away for from the general public and from society for these next however long weeks or months.
1: It's funny you should mention that because that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, our listeners can right now access the Search for Exoplanets, What Astronomers Know on The Great Courses Plus. That's just one of obviously thousands of of lectures you can find on this service, um, which we have availed ourselves of for a while now and enjoy a lot, and I know that our listeners do as well. Yeah, if you're locked up right now and you want to use this time productively and get, get a deeper level of knowledge about any number of subjects, The Great Courses Plus is a great way to do it. Um, the Search for Exoplanets class talks about studying the conditions that make Earth habitable, its distance from the sun, surface temperature, oceans, and more, and explores the worlds that exist outside of our solar system, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast because there's been this boom in the last 20 or so years of, of exoplanet information going from like a time I think in the mid-90s when it was thought that they might not exist at all to now we we think that every star has at least one so that course and thousands of other lectures can be found on the great courses plus which is again a streaming service with reliable fact-based information presented by top professors and experts um, and you can go to the great slash probably for a free month of unlimited access and you're locked up for at least a month now so you might as well go do that you can watch it on your set top. this does box.
0: seem like yeah if you've been thinking about signing up i cannot think of a better time if you've been thinking about learning a thing uh, and as we know, there are so many courses on here. They're tailored to every type of thing you might be wanting to learn about from the arts, humanities, uh, literature, science. Um, I'm, I'm running out of broad categories of things. Sports. What else can a person Shouting. Like- <laughs> Is there a <laughs> course on shouting?
1: Yeah, you think they have, like, hog could you Could you study... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it all depends on whether they managed to track down a top professor or a lecturer in that subject. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, but yeah, uh, I, th- it is my first port of call when I want to learn about a thing now, because obviously they've hooked us up with this uh, as uh, sponsors. We've, I've been pouring through various different courses. I've been recently learning about exoplanets. But yeah, if you'll hold away, if there's a, a language or a, or a type of writing or a type of science or mathematics that you're interested in learning about, the great courses plus slash probably and you will get a month's free trial
1: and uh as you mentioned before you can watch it on all kinds of different platforms so you can get the whole family together watch it on tv or if you need some alone time during this quarantine plug in your headphones and listen as though it were a podcast so it can meet all of your needs in these times i can't even imagine what happens when you get hit with iron pellets from the sky at mach 15 i looked it up it's more closer to mach 15
0: oh that's nothing
2: yeah. <laughs> We've all what's, been through Mach fifteen.
0: What's the sure. fastest that a human made spacecraft has traveled?
1: Um I wanna say it's in the like twenty thousand some mile an hour range, twenty to thirty. I'm guessing.
0: Because what? because it's the acceleration that really fucks you. Once you're in space and there's nothing
1: that fucks um, you in terms of coming in contact with pellets of iron?
0: It's the, it's the uh, difference in velocity between <laughs> the iron pellets, I would say. It's the biggest... Yeah. So, the what NASA's Helios Space Probe Helios 2 Space Probe is the fastest man-made object ever and that has peaked so far at, uh... That's hit a peak of 157,000 miles per hour.
2: Oh, oh shit! That's, that's totally way off. faster than than I would have expected.
0: Yeah, Let's What's see what the fastest a human? Oh yeah, you are doing that. Yeah, that would be. Let's find I mean, that out. I'm guessing so I go- pretty
2: fast on my bike when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I like Death I'm Hill. pretty sure
2: I hit at least like 25 once.
0: Yeah, and also I'm guessing like you would did you not like if you duck down to really minimize wind resistance to like really yeah, self streamline. Exactly. So you- that's when you hit the Mach 20, Mach 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> You got close to the fastest ever, but the the crew of NASA's (laughs) NASA's Apollo 10 moon mission reached a top speed of... This is faster than the rain as well. Reached a top speed of 24,791 miles per hour. Mm. Which is 39,897 kilometers per hour.
1: That's a pretty tough speed to have to manage a a re-entry with.
0: Yeah. Um, there's a whole Wikipedia page here with a list of various vehicle speed records. Um, the fastest, uh, the land speed record is the Thrust SSC, which was the supersonic land car, which hit Mach 1, beat Mach 1, which hit 763 miles per hour. Fastest That's a wheel driven, car but rocket yeah. powered car, right? But has is rocket-powered. The fastest wheel-driven car In other words, operating the way a regular car does, where an engine turns the wheels, the wheels run along the ground, and that speeds you up. It was 463 miles per hour. Fastest piston-driven, 448. This one's nuts. The fastest motorcycle, 376. Uh, diesel power 350. Electric-powered, 342. Radio-controlled, 210. Um... Radio controlled battery 202, steam powered 148, wind powered 126, human powered is 89.5 miles per hour. And
2: that Damn. that would be a that would be a bicycle. Is that what we're saying? yeah
0: some kind of yeah some kind of like super bicycle that's designed for that's ultimate speed record. So have you seen which the bicycles- is better than the solar powered speed, which is 56 miles an hour. Boo. And tracked vehicle 82.
2: Yeah, blue uh, solar.
0: Oil, oil, oil. No. I don't. <laughs> have you guys
1: seen Have you guys seen footage of people breaking records uh, for the bicycles that aren't powered by the bicyclist? I don't even know why it's a record that matters, but they'll they'll have a car in the salt flats of I don't know Utah or whatever, and it has a little like windscreen behind it, and then the the bicycle will be inside of that, so it has no air res- or minimal air resistance, or even like eddies keeping it in that area. And it just like like Marty McFly hanging on to the back of a car up until this car gets up to like 180 miles an hour. Then they'll let go of the bike and briefly pedal. And it's only one gear. And that gear would only even work with your foot speed at that speed. So then they'll pedal for just a little bit. Again, with not having, to, not having to accelerate to that speed and not having to battle air. But they'll just have to like let go of the thing for like five seconds and then grab it again. And now you have the record. It's 183 miles an hour for a bicycle. But again, not really a bike that you pedaled, you know?
2: Right. You didn't do anything. You just sort of coasted.
1: You just didn't die. And it's hit a terrifying <laughs> speed to be on a bike. Sure. I guess you had to pedal yeah. fast for like a few seconds.
2: but uh... Yeah, again, when I hit 25, I, uh, <laughs> I thought I had broken the record. So I can't imagine what 189 feels like. Yeah.
0: It's, hey, uh, by we'll the way. I'll we'll link to that story, I'm... actually. An unmanned an unmanned rocket sled has holds the land-based speed record for a vehicle at Mach 8.5.
2: Damn. Wow. Do you guys ever watch uh, that sport skeleton?
0: Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, also, is it the Cresta Run that the? Because uh, a couple of friends of mine just did that.
2: Oh, I have no idea. I just yeah. know that they l- lay down with uh, they lay down in a sport named after what's going to happen to them, and that seems unreasonable. Yeah, right.
0: A couple <laughs> of uh, a comedian concept. friends of mine just did the Cresta run in Switzerland. Uh, Marcus Brigstock and Andy Smart just did it, and it looks fucking terrifying. I watched a compilation video of people crashing out of it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're people after they crash. They're just sort of uh, loose parts, I imagine.
0: They are, there's a lot of, uh, a large number of injuries that come out of that thing. Do you want to do a story about a tiny dinosaur?
2: Oh, yes, please.
0: The opposite of a big dinosaur. The opposite of a (laughs) (laughs) T-Rex. There is the head of a tiny dinosaur found trapped in amber. This tiny head. I know, look at it, look at it. This tiny head, 40 millimeters long. That's like half an inch including the beak, belongs to one of the smallest dinosaurs ever found. Entombed in amber for nearly 100 million years, the creature belonged to the group of dinosaurs that gave rise to modern birds. The animal is probably about the size of the bee humming- hummingbird, the smallest living bird. The fossil wow. discovered in Myanmar has been christened... I always, I always get the stories that has the fucking... Alright. You can do it. We are or eye-toothed bird, which I can say, it has large eye sockets on the side of its head like modern lizards and its eyes have narrow openings that limit incoming light. There's a small hint, that's a strong hint that the animal is active during the day. Its upper and lower jaws are full of sharp teeth, the most found on any ancestral bird, which implies it was likely a pet predator that probably ate insects and other small invertebrates, researchers report. They think that the species' wow. tiny size is an example of island dwarfism, as it likely inhabited an arc of islands that existed where Myanmar, Myanmar is today. Without the rest of the body, the scientists can't tell exactly how it is related to other bird-like dinosaurs or whether it could fly, but they suspect it belongs to a group of relatively primitive birds, perhaps similar to Archaeopteryx and Jehol, Je, uh, Jeholonis species that lived between 150 and 120 million years ago.
2: I don't know how uh, you guys feel about this, but I I personally have been very disappointed to find out how much uh, dinosaurs of the past were just big-ass birds.
0: I kind of like that. I I'm less disappointed because yeah. I kind
2: It breaks my heart. I wanted them to be something I didn't understand. I know what birds oh. do. I get those. This is just, you know, birds with an attitude. I don't need that. I'm with you. I'm with you. I want it to be different. Yeah. I want it to be some sort of freak. Something I, you know, I'll never understand. But then again, right. it's one of those
1: things where if you didn't have birds and then someone told you about birds, you'd be like, Oh man, I wish I could have lived when there were birds around those things. That sounds crazy.
2: Right, fair enough. I'm spoiled, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make you excited about the idea of birds instead.
2: <laughs> no. Fuckbirds, no. <laughs> Although they did let those penguins out at the uh shed aquarium and let them like walk around the entire aquarium because of the pandemic. And it's been uh the videos are very charming of them like uh, discovering that they're prisoners, but also in a really cool prison.
0: Yeah. I did see I I saw one of those videos, the uh, the penguin looking through the glass at the other.
2: <laughs> yeah. At the other jailed animals is a it's a great time. Um,
0: yeah, I wonder how long we how how long do we have before just people start letting the animals out of the zoo and.
1: Have you guys seen the footage of um monkeys in I forgot which Southeast Asian country, but um in a place where they were used to being fed by tourists and now that there aren't tourists, they've just taken to the streets on mass and it's like a yeah. terrifying...
2: Planet of the Apes prequel, like it's. Uh, they really... formed like gangs and tribes, and they're like fighting each other over like scraps of what people had left behind. It's terrifying. It's
1: terrif- yeah, yeah. We are in, <laughs> we are in end times. <laughs> Not to increase anybody's panic level.
2: Don't don't panic. But uh,
1: if, you, if you don't <laughs> don't look at this video of monkeys taking to the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't panic. We haven't mutated the monkeys yet. They're just doing this on their own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait till we get our chemicals inside of them, then you panic. Um, uh,
0: by the well, way, do you guys... Sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, go for it. What were you going to say?
1: No, I was just going to ask if you... If, if either of you have, have friends who are conspiracy theorists who are, you know, espousing theories about coronavirus being man-made or anything, or... or oh, Andy,
0: sensitive. I am a... I, like... You and Langston am a comedian, therefore I have many <laughs> friends who are conspiracy theorists. Okay. I've had the bullshit that has flown past my Facebook feed in the last two... I'm, I'm sure you're aware that it is... that the coronavirus has been inside us for a while, waiting to be triggered by 5G uh, phone signals.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I love, yeah. it. love it. Carrie oh, Hilson uh, of uh, 2008's fame... R&B fame, if that means anything to you boys, Uh, also theorized that this was just the work of 5G um, polluting our insides and turning us into, you know, uh, some sort of weird, I guess, satellites for poison. I don't know. I don't fully understand what the theory is, but yeah, 5G is killing us apparently.
1: God, I just wish I could take people back to like some early college level physics classes and just teach them about. Electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation and what it is and isn't and what it can and can't do to biological tissue and mm, it's not like it's that complicated it's it's really not uh, yeah. yeah G is still in the same range of the EM spectrum that, that other cell technologies are it's not going to do anything to living tissue but yeah
0: it's interesting that you've uh they've already got to you and you've been paid off.
2: <laughs> this guy's in with big cell phone and I hate I hate to see it happen.
1: Listen, this this Joshua P. House didn't pay for itself, gentlemen. This is <laughs>
2: I'm not supposed to say this. The yeah, NBA. I forgot. God damn it. Boost Mobile lined Andy's pockets. It's upsetting to see. <laughs> Boost mobile, mobile <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Wait, but isn't there some legitimacy, and again, I don't know anything, isn't there some legitimacy to the claim that 5G, uh, at least at one point, was, like, thought to be cancer-causing?
1: Um, Basically, everything in that band of, of the spectrum can't do anything to really fuck with your cells. Things at higher frequency are the correct frequency to get in and damage cellular structures and dna and things but those are like things in like the gamma ray end of the spectrum and everything we're talking about is so much lower frequency it it just passes right it it can't interact really with with your cells it's not going to do anything to you
2: oh wow so what about the argument that then like keeping your cell phone in your pocket like kills your sperm cells is that also bullshit um,
1: I think that's all like speculative. No, but yeah, there's no. If anything, maybe people are talking about like actual thermal, actual heat, but like anything else is just people's guesses. Like they're like, oh, who knows what this might do? It's like, well, we know what range the the radiation it's putting out is in, and it's not in a range that's that we've ever shown to be dangerous. We don't know any mechanism by which it could be dangerous.
0: It's, uh, it's also a yeah. hard thing to control for because. People putting phones in their pocket coincided with people wearing different types of underwear and trousers and like how do you Right.
2: How Good do point. you
0: separate you'd have to like alright, separate everyone who wears phone holsters?
1: Yeah. Right. I, I guess I was a boxer guy in college and now I'm boxer briefs, so um Maybe that's why my sperm count is low. I have no idea.
2: Sure. What's that. That's, right. That would fuck up the the uh, experiment, so to speak, because yeah. you now change one of the other controls. Is that correct? Am I saying the right thing here, boys? Yeah. Control? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I so I'm going to put my spir- my uh, phone right next to my dick and not worry about it. Love it. You do that. <laughs> you feel <for laughs> alone. Our I'm glad is- there's... I'm glad this podcast with two comedians uh, was able to give me the comfort that I needed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is a little bit closer to home. Justin McDowell tweeted at us this story uh, that's on MSN.com about a, sorry, a CNN story about mysterious ice age structure made from hundreds of mammoth bones discovered in Russia. Uh, Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes there for you, Andy. Um, So you get it as well. About 25,000 years ago, hunter-gatherers used the bones from 60 mammoths to build a large circular structure in Russia, and no one exactly knows why. Researchers have evacuated the site in an attempt to understand it, but they don't know why the new structure was built, according to a new study. This is not the first mammoth house to be found in Russia, but is the oldest and largest, measuring 41 feet across. That's uh, just over, what, 10 and 12 meters?
2: Oh man, this is, like the, uh, this is like the this is like the one percent building mammoth houses.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah that's where they oh look at him Mr. Lardy da twelve yeah. and a half meter <laughs> mammoth bone building.
2: <laughs> Tear down the rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: This
1: is like them- mammoth hinge kind of is that what th- we're thinking this is?
0: Yeah, it's a mammoth, mammoth house. In the 60s and 70s, researchers found similar smaller buildings at the site, which they dubbed Kostenki 11. It's 310 miles south of Moscow, if anyone wants to visit, and is now home to a museum, the State Archaeological Museum, Reserve Konteki. In 2014, researchers found evidence of this structure at the site and began excavation in 2015, which took three years. A study detailing their findings uh, was published this week in the journal Antiquity. These mammoth bone structures dating to the Ice Age have been found across Eastern Europe, but until now, the oldest ones found were dated to 22,000 years ago. This, once again, is 25,000 years ago. Uh, Yeah, and constructing something this massive out of hundreds of mammoth bones would have taken time. It's surprising, considering the populations of hunter-gatherers never spent much time in any one location. Mammoth bones are very heavy. And building the circular structure represents a huge investment of time and energy by the humans that built this, says Alexander Pryor, lead study author and paleolithic archaeologist at the University of Exeter. The bones formed a continuous circle with no obvious entrance. So far, the researchers have identified 51 mammoth mandibles and 64 skulls. Inside the circle, researchers also found evidence that wood was burned inside it, but overall there are no signs of long-term habitation inside it. The researchers believe that it didn't act as a wintertime refuge, which has them rethinking the purpose of these massive time-consuming structures. It clearly meant something to them, said Pryor, and it was very likely a ritual element to it, even if the structure ultimately had some sort of practical purpose too. Uh, As the first mammoth house found in more than 40 years, the researchers took advantage of new techniques to investigate the site that weren't available previously, which included flotation, Something fairly new when the other structures were excavated. They use flotation to separate material from soil using water and sieves. This allows for the discovery of tiny fragments, which can provide the minute details of a larger story. How is this not available 40 years ago? Flotation is surely a very old technology. It seems. Yeah. I'd say it's one of the oldest technologies.
1: It's. Uh, I think it, it's just barely younger than sinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Wait, so I, I'm still stuck on – that. there was no entrance. They just yeah, had this yeah. big – so this was like art. This was like Burning Man, Burning <laughs> Mammoth.
0: Yeah, this kind of is, I think. So flotation, flotation helped the archaeologists find evidence of a possible food source for the hunter-gatherers at the site beside the mammoths. They found pe- We found pieces of soft plant tissue typically found in edible roots or tubers hinting at a plant food component in people's diet, said Pryor. These findings are important because they illustrate how our human ancestors adapted to survive the harsh environments of the last ice age by making use of the resources they found around them. There was also flotation that revealed the tiny bits of charred wood, the first evidence that humans burned wood fires in the mammoth structure, and suggest that wood was still a resource used by hunter-gatherers during the ice age. Other areas in northern Europe showed signs of abandonment at the time, I suggest that trees were a rare and precious resource. This may hint may hint at why Katentki was chosen. It demonstrates that the trees were still present in the landscape despite the harsh climate conditions of the time. Said prior, but also why? Yeah, no one knows. It's not yet clear whether they were they were from mammoths recently hunted and killed by humans, or if they were scavenged from carcasses of animals that died of other causes. The researchers plan uh, to well, investigate I'm, the site foot. I'm gonna yeah, tell
2: everybody it was a uh, it was a fuck house. I was <laughs> <laughs> that was just a big fuck house for uh, people who needed somewhere private. You climb up there, you climb in, you fuck.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so prior, think the recent one suggestion by the researchers is that it was for food storage. But anyone who who's ever worked in the hospitality industry knows there's, uh If you can use it for food storage, you can use it for fucking.
2: You know it. (laughs) Amen to that.
0: I mean,
1: yeah, uh, not to take it down this road too much, but for some reason, I was just thinking about that recently, about how, like, for most of man's existence, the fucking has all been outside, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's a pretty compromised position to be in to uh, to to predators, you know?
2: Well they
0: have right, they have
2: shelters but yeah we I watched some video the other day of like uh them uh, trying to make a some giant cattle uh mate with each other and they managed to get like the bull on top of the the cow and it was in there for like 3 seconds and then he went off and like did his thing we like time in there you know at least theoretically when you're doing your best <laughs> and uh, <laughs> th- that's probably very vulnerable for these people they needed a fuck house so they built one out of the bones of things that they yeah. had murdered
0: previously people were like, like hey get a different corner of the savannah <laughs>
2: hey build a structure to hide
0: inside <laughs> of guys, guys <laughs> come on now kill some mammoths and build a massive <laughs> temple we don't want to see that you have yeah. yourself when you're
1: out here. Yeah, they're sick. <laughs> like, you think cavemen had the idea of
2: shame. They developed shame. There had to be one, right? One, one person was like, we shouldn't, one cave person was like, we shouldn't be doing this. And then it all, you know, blew up from there. Yeah, how did we develop shame? It's a crazy thing, isn't it?
0: uh well I, I, adam and eve were in the garden of eden and oh i'm sorry they yeah they ate from the it was the apple wasn't it it? Was,
2: uh yeah and then a, a snake was there he told them to do it but then afterwards he uh he wasn't exactly cool about it yeah it, it got weird
0: yeah
1: isn't there some turns out about the the fruit that it wasn't an apple i mean not that it's a true story but scientists found the fruit of was a kumquat but like isn't there something where like even the little scholars are like no no it's not an apple it's like
0: yeah like the the translation of it just said uh, it just means fruit I think oh Uh, let me look it up Uh, that was more interesting wasn't an apple garden of Eden translation just like Humpty Dumpty was never an egg
2: (laughs) right yeah turns out that was a real man who cracked his skull
0: yeah uh, (laughs) isn't it isn't it a gun isn't that what Humpty Dumpty is isn't it like a giant artillery weapon
2: oh I had no idea I was just talking shit okay Uh,
0: there is an NPR article about um so Genesis only ever refers to the fruit the translation says we may eat the fruit of the garden but not the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden uh, and but... So it was Milton in Paradise Lost. Who said that? Milton, Milton, Milton ma- in Paradise Lost made it an apple.
1: What a dumb dumb.
0: Oh, how did it become an apple? It is a Latin pun. According to All this right. NPR story. Uh, in I order love. to explain, we have to... Wait... <laughs> so oh no it dates back earlier so you have to go back to the fourth century a.d when pope damascus ordered his leading scholar of scripture jerome to translate the hebrew bible into latin jerome's path-breaking 15-year project which related in the canon canonical vulgate that's the vulgate of saint jerome used the latin spoken by the common man well i guess the common man was pretty posh back then mm-hmm. uh as it turns out the Latin words for evil and apple are the same. Malice. In the Hebrew Bible, yeah. a generic term peri is used for the fruit hanging from the tree of, the, of knowledge. Peri could be absolutely any fruit. Rabbinic commentators variously characterize it as a fig, a pomegranate, a grape, an apricot, a citron, or even wheat. Some commentators even thought of the forbidden fruit as a kind of wine intoxicating to drink. It could still be Cider. When Jerome was translating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the word malice snaked in. Oh, look at what you just did, the NPR. A brilliant but controversial theologian, Jerome was known for his hot temper, but he obviously had a rather cool sense of humor. Oh, Jerome. Hi. Jerome oh, has several... O- I love Jerome that has,
2: pun, puns are shaping history at this point.
0: Yeah, Jerome has several options, says Applebaum a professor of English literature at Sweden's Uppsala University. That's the second mention of that university that had this episode. Here. But he hit upon the idea of translating peri as malus, which in Latin has two very different meanings. As an adjective, malus means bad or evil. As a noun, it seems to mean an apple, in our own sense of the word, come from the common tree now known as the malus uh, pumila. So Jerome came up with a very good pun. The story doesn't end there. To compliment the even more, the word malus in Jerome's time, and for a long time after, refer to any fleshy seed bearing fruit a pear was a kind of malice, so was the fig, the peach and so forth, which explains why Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel fresco features a serpent coiled around a fig tree and then okay uh, blah blah Milton um, and so on, this is a long article that's taking us away from science but
2: (laughs) no this is um, science (laughs) what is an apple, what is a tree
0: yeah are Apple's evil?
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Matt.
0: Yeah, yeah what were you going to say? Do you have time for another story? Do you have another story ready to go?
1: Uh, we, we have so many, by the way. Listeners, thank you so much for all your emails to probably signs at gmail.com. I know we can't get anywhere near all the stories you send in, but I do appreciate... Uh, we both appreciate all that you send in. Um, this one came from... Paul Muxworthy as well. Um, insect Butter. Do you want to do that?
0: Oh, yeah, boy. I already have that loaded up, ready to go. <laughs> In these possibly post-apocalyptic times.
1: Yeah, it does seem sort of... It's like a little bit um, Snowpiercer-y. So uh, Belgian Waffles may be about to become more environmentally yeah. friendly. Scientist- By the yeah. way,
0: I just watched Snowpiercer for the first time two days ago. What would you think? It's a very good film. I highly recommend it. It's right? currently yeah. on Netflix, if any of you want to catch up on Director Bong's back catalogue.
2: Yeah, it really answers the question, what if poor people can still be handsome? It's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how they can.
1: And what if the whole, whole world existed on a train that doubled as
2: video game levels, basically?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Everybody has a boss at the end. Yeah, it's great. It's a fun. Yeah, what, what a
0: what a, exactly what a great plot device it's like great. it's so like right at the beginning of the film you're go, like, right the poor heroes at the back of the flight train the rich bad guys at the front of the train you got to get from there to there <laughs> like done that's the plot
1: that's the whole movie and the whole that's, world has to exist on this train at this point because the world is uninhabitable yeah
0: yeah that's the first 30 seconds of the film and then and you're like all right i'm in i'm in
1: yeah it's great um, and actually slight spoiler alert, because you wouldn't know that this story relates to that movie. We're not for a spoiler, but, um, Belgian waffles the, may be
0: about the to, most uh, minor spoilers.
1: Yeah. In fact, okay. We can just talk about it. It's kind of a stupid spoil. It's kind of a stupid twist that like they find out they've been eating crickets cause it's, you know, a pretty good future food kind of, I've heard it tastes good. Yeah. And, um, Belgian waffles may be about to become more vitamin friendly. scientists at Ghent university in Belgium are experimenting with larva fat. To replace butter in waffles, cakes, and cookies, saying using grease from insects is more sustainable than dairy produce. Clad in white aprons, these researchers soak black soldier fly larvae in a bowl of water, put it in a blender to create a smooth grayish dollop, and then use a kitchen centrifuge to separate out insect butter. There are several positive things about using insect ingredients, says Dalen Sampa Sosa, who oversees the research. They're more sustainable because insects use less land than cattle, they're more efficient at converting feed. And they also use less water to produce butter, Sampa Sosa said, as she held out a freshly baked insect butter cake. According to researchers, consumers notice no difference when a quarter of the milk butter in a cake is replaced with larva fat. More quarters, a small amount. However, they report it gets to 50-50. Oh, and say they would not want to buy the cake. Oh, well, okay, Well, that's… Uh, insect food has high levels of protein, vitamins, fiber, and minerals, and scientists elsewhere in Europe are looking at it as a more environmentally friendly and cheap alternative to other types of animal products. Man, if you're at 50-50 and it's just the butter in the cake and it's already tasteable,
2: that's probably not a great sign. But Yeah, no, there's, there's no fucking way. Uh, and, it, okay, I, I'm fine with the, pri- with the idea of it being insect butter, but larva specifically feels jarring. It's like starting point. Maggots, kind of. Yeah. yeah, that's not... If we're talking about... Like, I've had cricket chips. So darn. Yeah, I have. And I didn't love them, but I didn't hate them. They're they're pretty... It's just a, a little crunchier in, in a not fun way than I expected. But, like, uh, the butter of it feels upsetting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're probably not going to put a picture of it on this side of the packaging, but... Right. You don't I guess if you do that, you just make the cake and you say, hey, I've made some cake. You don't go like, hey, I made a cake. And right. here's some good, other good news that you should know. There's some, there's some maybe slight traces of maggot goo in this, but <laughs> <laughs> I, maggot.
1: Like to me, the grossest thing about eating crickets would be if I felt on my tongue the shape of a cricket body, not the actual fact that I'm eating crickets. I, I'd want to try this. Just to see. I've tried
0: tried them as well. I've tried uh, insects,
1: like crunchy ass insects where you can feel their legs on your tongue. Yep. Ugh.
2: You're a better. I ate ate scorpion, so I Mm -hmm. I guess in some, but that's not quite an insect. I guess I don't know, but uh. uh, Please. Yeah, it it Matt. I don't know how you felt about it. It's it's not great. (laughs)
0: Um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I I was like a, a novelty thing at a science museum where they had a the science museum in London. Oh, okay. uh, they had a, a little demonstration with a uh, insects. Uh, you can yeah, edible insects. And they had I can't remember which ones they had. They had four of them next to each other, and most the three of them were a couple of them were okay, and there was one that just tasted really like like really potent dried mushrooms okay. Oh shit. Uh, but but like in that sort of like tough to eat dried mushrooms
2: right yeah, scorpion tastes like uh, sunflower that, seeds
0: okay yeah I, I had something that was a bit like that as well and that was okay and also all even the ones like i i like mushroom flavor and i like dried mushroom and when it's just too much so even that if it was sort of you could cook with it I would be, I would not be averse, particularly as a vegetarian. Like I'm not bothered by into eating insects; they don't, they, they don't contradict my various morals. And right. I would absolutely be uh, willing to incorporate them into cooking if it could be done in a way that was a little bit more palatable and comfortable.
1: Right. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I can't buy eggs out here, so I gotta fucking make do. insect eggs. Give me something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh don't don't start there though. <laughs> Maybe just start with the full grown ones and work your way down to their unborn children.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um we we should wrap this up in a second. I think Lankson, you okay stick around for like a little bonus Patreon story? One extra story?
2: Uh yeah, yeah. I, I have to be off by uh by seven if that's okay. But oh yeah, yeah absolutely. We can
0: do that. Little bonus story. Cool. Uh but uh firstly uh what where can our listeners find you
2: oh if you want to follow me and hear uh more of all the science i know you can find me at langston kerman on twitter and instagram and uh you can look out for me at these club dates which are all defunct now thanks to the corona
0: no. all right <laughs> yeah um well you uh Episode. What TV show are you writing on right now? Because episodes of that will still be available.
2: Uh yeah, I write for a TV show called Southside on Comedy Central. We're in the middle of writing season two, and it's really fun and silly, and uh, it's great. You should watch that. And I also uh am a uh, cast member on a show called Bless This Mess on ABC every Tuesday at seven thirty, uh Damn. central.
0: Yeah. I know you. I didn't know you were double dipping right now, writing on a show and oh. acting in another. Oh, that's
2: awesome. Oh, Papa's making all the money.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, self-taught self, is hilarious. I got. That's another thing I should be watching more of on this. Uh, on
0: yeah, this. Oh, definitely yeah. check Thanks, that out man. and like and enjoy Langster's jokes. And also check check out Langster's comedy online. He's a very funny comic. Um, highly recommend it. Listeners, we're gonna be trying. I I depending on how this thing goes, I think we're gonna try and do more of these Skype episodes. Uh we will maybe try and do more than weekly. I, I know we always overpromise and under deliver on that kind of thing. I think like right now we're definitely going to try and do a few episodes that are specifically tailored to what's going on with experts. We've got one coming up that we're going to be recording and then we'll be doing some just regular episodes with other non-coronavirus related stories. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, you can find us at always, as always, probably uh, twitter at probablyscience individually at andy t wood and Matt Kershon, facebook slash probably science probably science at gmail.com is our email address for any questions comments clarifications stories you want us to cover and uh our show notes and patreon and paypal links are probably science.com stay tuned if you're a patreon subscriber for one extra bonus story
1: thanks and we'll
0: see you next week cheers